is my honor to officially announce that we are closing out the series that we've been in since January, We the Kingdom. Uh, we have our last installment tonight. If you've uh, been around since literally since January, we have been talking about what does it look like to be people of the kingdom? How, how does being a part of the kingdom of God affect the way we live our life? What are some of the principles and the defining attributes? And, and we've gone through a lot of amazing stuff, but I'm pretty confident when I say that we've saved the best for last. And it is an honor uh, to get to announce that you guys are going to get to hear from a very guest speaker. Most of you know him. Most of you are discipled by him uh, and his wife. Um, Matt and Elizabeth Pearson have been with us since day one. And we're so honored. Matt, why don't you come up? Matt Pearson. Give it up for Matt Pearson. I just want to honor Matt. Uh, for those of you that don't know, literally, uh, when we uh, planted the church, the first uh, worship service we ever had, it was a small gathering, 20 or so people in a living room crying out to God for the city, and it was in their living room. And they have an amazing story, but they've been with us since day one. They love people. They love the uh, God. They, they just, they, they, are, they are gems. And you're going to get to hear him speak on a passion of his. So without further ado, Matt Pearson. Thanks. All right. Thank you. And thank you, Cody. Um, let's give it up for Cody and Kate. They do such a phenomenal job leading this church. They lead with humility. They lead with wisdom and skill and wisdom beyond their years. Uh, they challenge me, and um, I'm just so thankful. Elizabeth and I talk about it. We're thankful to be a part of this church um, and doing this thing with them So, and with all of you. So um, thanks, and I'm excited to, um, to share a little bit tonight. We're going to talk about prayer. Now, if I've never met you before, um, again, Matt Pearson, you may have seen me around. I play the keyboard sometimes, lead a life group. I also lead Antioch Prayer. Um, let's get that picture of the family up there. You can see the fam. That's us. She didn't know I was going to show that picture. But, um, so, and a lot of you guys know my wife, Elizabeth, women's pastor, also does, also does a little bit of preaching herself. Um, and so, Levi is seven seven and a half, uh, John in the orange, he's five, and then Gabriel just turned two. They're awesome. Um, thanks for letting me share that. <laughs> we moved here about five years ago, um, basically because God told us, I'm moving in this valley and I'm inviting you to be a part of it. And we said, awesome, we're in. Um, we're from North Carolina. Uh, we made the, made the trip out here and it's been really great. Um, I got a really good job. Um, I, I'm a physician up at the University of Utah at the hospital, um, and that was a big part of what brought us out here, but it's God's purposes uh, in His kingdom that, that keep us out here. So, um, so I want to tell you a story about a time that I saw someone very dear to me raised from death to life. I grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, probably like a lot of you guys, um, my childhood had a lot of love, a lot of fun, also a lot of pain. Uh, when I was about 12 or 13 years old, um, I started to have this desire in my heart to start going to church, and it freaked out my parents because that's just not something that we did. It's also not something you expect a 12-year-old boy to just want to do. In hindsight, I look back and I say, God was pursuing me, okay? He was, he was, um, he was drawing me closer to him. I, I would, they dropped me off at church, 
and they'd pick me up afterwards. I'd go home, I'd read the Bible, and I grew in my relationship with God. Um, a few years later, things got hard in our family. My parents went through a divorce. We were teenagers. That's always hard. Um, I have two younger sisters, and, and I'm going to tell you about my middle sister. She's two years younger than me, and she didn't know God. And she, in her adolescence and in all this stuff, she took a, she took a different turn, and she had a hard time. And she, was, she made some decisions. Um, stuff happened. It, she was in a really dark place. And I had a burden that she would know God. And you know what a burden is? It's like a, it's like a compassion and an ache for something. And I had that for her, and I prayed for her, and I prayed a lot for her. And other people in the family, uh, extended family, prayed for her as well. I was at a conference. This is now about 18 or 19 years ago. I was at a conference, and I, was, I got up in the morning, and I was praying, and my thoughts drifted to my sister, and I prayed for her. And I felt that burden kind of almost lift a little bit. I didn't know what to make of it. I thought, well, that's interesting. I filed it away, w- went on with my day. A few days later, I flew back to North Carolina. I was going to be with my family. It was Christmas time. And um, as I'm walking out of, the, out of the plane, I look, and there in the seat is my sister sitting. And that was odd to me because I didn't really have a relationship with her at that point. Not really. I hadn't talked to her in years. And, um, and that was her. And I took a couple more steps, and I saw something that I'm never going to forget. Her eyes were different. There was life on her. And at that moment, I recalled what had happened when I was praying a few days before that burden that had lifted. And I thought, oh my gosh, it happened. It happened. God did it. And I got to her and she put her arm around me like this and she said, Matt, when we get down to the baggage claim, there's something I want to tell you. I'm thinking, I already know what it is. <laughs> but I didn't say anything. I, let it, I, I, let, I waited for her to tell me and um, she said, Matt, and she was crying and she said, I got saved last week. And she went on and told me this most amazing story about how God radically pursued her and how she had a radical encounter with God, and it changed her. And I could tell you to this day, she loves God. She has a family. They love God. Four kids. They all love God. It's awesome. So I want to ask you guys tonight, what is it going to take to see new life birthed in your relationships, in your family, in your friendships, in your coworkers at school? What is it going to take to see new life birthed? to see God pour out His Spirit, to see people get new eyes? What's it going to take to see people freed from addictions? What's it going to take to see people healed? What's it going to take to see God do new things in our generation, in our city, and in the nations that we've never seen before? So I want to I look at um, a passage of Scripture, 1 Kings chapter 18. This is, uh, this is about Elijah. Now, he was a prophet. He was a prophet to Israel. Um, Israel, this is way before Jesus, okay? Israel was God's people. He had a special relationship with them. Uh, and he told them, he, he said, you know, you guys, you guys are mine, um, and I've got, I've, got some, I've got good stuff for you, and I don't want you to live like all these other nations are living. And, and, and what happened was, over time, they started to turn more towards these evil practices. I mean, wicked stuff. I just don't want to go there because it will give you bad dreams. But it's stuff that... These other nations were doing, and they started to go down that route, and God disciplined them, and he said, you know what? I'm going to dry up the heavens. It's not going to rain for three years, and he sent Elijah to tell them that and to keep calling them back. Come back to God. Repent. Follow his ways. His ways are much better, and God was in charge, and he didn't let it rain, and so things got really bad. People were hungry, okay? People were dying, all right? 
So let's put, the, let's put the scripture up. So this is where we, we come in. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab. That was the king. He was not a good guy. He didn't like Elijah. Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. We're going to skip ahead a little bit. There's some really cool stuff that happens. Go back and read it. But it's kind of like an interlude. This is what I want to show you guys. In Elijah, in verse 41, Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself down on the ground on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked, and he said, there's nothing. And he said, go again, seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. Pray with me now. Let's pray. Father, I believe that you have something for us tonight, God, and I pray that you would give us ears to hear you. Give us ears to hear you, eyes to see you. Father, give us a heart to understand what you're saying to us tonight. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us so much. Amen. Why do we pray? Why do we pray? If God is good, which he is, I mean, he's the best. His intentions towards us are good all of the time. If God is good, okay, and if God is sovereign, so he's in charge, and he's all-powerful, he can do whatever he wants. He created the universe. He holds it in his hand. If God is good, and God is sovereign and all-powerful, why do we have to ask him to do good stuff? Why doesn't he just do it? I used to think, when I was younger, I used to think evangelism and telling people about Jesus was so hard. I'm like, why doesn't God just show up? If God would just show up on the earth and, you know, hey, I'm God. <laughs> Look, believe in me. Let's all get the spirit and let's go to heaven and it'll all be done. He could do that, but he doesn't. What's that about? I'll tell you what it's about. God has chosen in his sovereignty to limit himself to working through us. And that may be hard that, because it's hard to think of God limiting his, but he's chosen to do it. He works through us, and that's, that's the way that he set it up, which gives us great responsibility and great authority. I want to tell you about uh, one of the most terrifying events of my life. When I was 19 years old, I decided to work at a summer camp. Um, I was excited. I, I, my friend had worked there ahead of me, and he came back, and he said, it was amazing. God did this. God did that. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I want that. I want more of God, and I want to serve. So I went to the summer camp. Praise God. It's also where I met Elizabeth. <laughs> um, so the first three weeks of summer camp, we would spend getting ready for summer camp, okay, getting ready for the kids. We would uh, we'd rake leaves, we'd spread mulch, we'd paint, we'd fix stuff, we'd have orientation meetings where all the staff would learn about, you know, this is the vision for the camp, this is what we're doing. We'd learn the rules, here's what you do, here's what you don't do. And we also learned that with the camp director, his name was Jerry, is Jerry, 
um, the buck stopped with him, and he made it really clear. He said, these are the rules of the campground, and you need to follow them, and you need to enforce them, and as long as you do, I'm going to back you up. And if you don't follow them, you can't work here. So it, it was all very clear. Um, well, the big day arrived. The campers were coming. We were all excited. I was in my camp T-shirt and my name tag, my little walkie-talkie. We got the cabins all ready. Now, the gates opened at 1 o'clock, but the buses didn't arrive until 2 o'clock. So a lot of the kids from the camp came from Charlotte, and there was a big parking lot, and the buses would pick up the kids and bring them at 2 o'clock. But if you didn't live in Charlotte, or if you were, like, really anxious and you wanted to check out the camp and tuck your kid in bed, you could drive yourself up to the camp, and you could get there as early as 1 but the rule was that no campers were allowed in the cabins until 2. And that's because we didn't have assigned bunks. You got to claim a bunk, and kids would say, oh, I want, this, I want this cabin again this year. I'm going to go back. And it wouldn't be fair. So we just kept all the doors shut until, you know, 2 o'clock, and there was a sign. So I'm walking uh, up to the cabin with my co-counselor, and I look. It's about 1.30, and I look, and there are about four suitcases uh, sitting on beds in my cabin. I thought, they broke the rule. This is not good. And I looked, and my co-counselor said, well, let's just take them out. We'll put them here on the porch. Uh, and I didn't see any kids anywhere. Well, a few minutes later, these middle schoolers came up, and they're, what's this, man? What are you doing? Who put it? Did you put our And blah, blah, blah. And so I'm like, guys, here's the rule. You know, you're welcome to be in this cabin, uh, but not till 2 o'clock. You see? On the sign. <laughs> One of the kids didn't like that, and he ran up to the top of the hill to tell his mom and his dad. And about 30 seconds later, I kid you not, I'm uh, standing and I see a large, angry man. He's coming around behind the pool deck. He's coming straight for me. He's about 18 feet tall and he's foaming at the mouth. His fists are clenched. His fists really were clenched. He was mad and he had locked eyes with me and he was coming straight for me. And I'm terrified, thinking, oh, believe this. What in the world? And he got about five feet from me, and he threw the biggest big boy tantrum in the world. He, what are you doing taking my kids' suitcases out and putting them on the porch? We've been waiting all summer for this. We drove all the way up, blah, 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 blah. He went on and on, and I didn't, my throat uh, was closing up. My heart was beating in my throat, really. I felt urine dripping down my leg. <laughs> and all I could think was, well, you can't come in the cabins until two o'clock. And that's all I said to him. And he went, and this went back and forth. Well, I didn't know anything else to say, but I knew as I stood there that the camp director would back me up on this. That was the rule. Eventually, he relented. He took the suitcases and stormed off and went up to the top of the hill, and I never saw him again. But in that moment, the urine dried up and all this, and I, when I caught my breath, I stopped and I realized I have way more authority uh, here than I than I give myself credit for. And it was like God gave me this revelation. And so I want to tell you, it's the same thing in Christ. Jesus, if you're brought into his kingdom and you're a part of what he's doing, he liberally gives you his authority. And so you can, you can step forward and you can carry his authority and you can enforce his victory and you can stand firm and you can know that if you're in his will, he's always going to back you up. In fact, he calls us ambassadors. An ambassador is someone who comes from one nation to go to another nation. And when they go to the other nation, they're representing the nation they're from. Okay? They carry all the authority of that nation into the new nation. Okay? An ambassador doesn't come with their own agenda. They come with the agenda of the country that sent them. Okay? If, the, if, 
if an ambassador comes into a country and starts doing his own thing, he, he ceases to have any, anything backing him up, okay? And it's the same with our prayers. We pray God's will because in God's will, we have power and authority. And if you step out and you start praying for things or asking for things or going down a road that is not God's, you're not going to have the power of God behind you. So I want to I wanted share a quick scripture with you. It's not on the screen. It's in 1 John 5, 16. It says this. Five fourteen, sorry. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we asked of him. So it's a relationship that we have with God. God wants to do something. He sends us into the world as his ambassadors, as his representatives. And we find out what his will is. And then you go back to God and you pray, God, let your will be done. Just like Jesus taught his disciples to pray, may your will be done. May your kingdom come, may your will be done. So he shows us his will. We go back and we say, God, do it. And then he does it. And it, seems, it might seem a little weird, but, but the more you pray, that's what it is. He shows us what he wants to do. And then you say, okay, God, do it. I want to take it a step further. I want to look at Elijah again. Can you throw the... The passage back up there, uh, starting with verse 1. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. He said, go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. What's Elijah's response? Does he say, "Woohoo! it's been three years, and he gets, he gets his lawn chair and his flippers and a snorkel, and he sits there and says, send the rain, God. No. Go on to the next slide. What he does, he goes up on top of Mount Carmel and he starts to pray. And he prays and he prays and he prays and he prays. Seven times he prays. And then the rain cloud comes. What's that about? Guys, you have to catch this. This is something that Elijah, that Elijah understood. We have to understand this. If God shows us something that he wants to do, if he's given you a burden for somebody, if he's given you a heart for someone that you work with, if he's, if he's revealed something to you. There are a lot of prophetic people in this church, people who hear God, have visions or have sense for what God's going to do or a dream. If he's done something like that, that is a prayer assignment for you. You pray into that. You don't sit back and wait for it to come. You pray into it. That's what Elijah did, and then there was rain. You guys with me? We teach our kids to pray. We're trying. I think it's working. Um, a couple years ago, there was a funny exchange. Levi was probably about five years old. John was around three. Levi loves cats. He just loves them. Okay? I don't know. Um, so Elizabeth's in the other room, and she overhears this conversation. Levi looks up and says, Jesus, please turn me into a cat. And John, who's three, there's a pause, and he looks over and he says, did he do it? <laughs> and here's the best part of all. Levi turns back and he says, sometimes he says yes, and sometimes he says no, John. <laughs> now, my, one of my best friends growing up, he, he loves God too. 
uh, he heard about this exchange, and his response was, and sometimes he says not yet. <laughs> so we'll see. What happens when God doesn't immediately answer our prayers? If we're praying for God's will to come, if God wants to do something and we're asking him to do it, what happens when it doesn't happen right away? Like in the case of Elijah, he had to pray seven times. He didn't give up. But why, why does that happen? Sometimes I think we, we start to think we're trying to overcome some kind of a reluctance in God, and it's not true. Sometimes we think maybe he's just, maybe he's just distracted, you know, like, God, please save, save my friend. And he's over here like, well, hang on a second, I'm dealing with a big mess. That's not true either. Um, Richard Foster wrote a book, Celebration of Discipline. It's a really good book. And there's a chapter, yep, there's a chapter in that book on prayer. And I love what he says at this point. He says, if your prayers aren't getting answered, you troubleshoot. I thought, that's brilliant. Troubleshoot. I understand that. Like if my computer stops working or something or my car, like I know enough about it that I can do some troubleshooting, okay? And the Bible gives us some handrails with prayer. There's a lot in the Bible about prayer. If your prayers aren't immediately getting answered, you should troubleshoot. There's an important verse here in James, chapter 5, verse 16. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So the converse is also true. If you're not close to Jesus and not living an upright, righteous life, don't be surprised if you're not getting answers to your prayers. Okay? You may not like to hear that, but I have to tell you that. It's true. You need to be consistently meeting with God. If you have, if you have sin patterns that you can't break out of, if you have unforgiveness or bitterness in your heart, you need to go to God with that, and you need to ask Him for grace. He'll give you grace. That's what it's for. He'll give you the grace. But you need to be living close to Jesus. One of the most insidious sins or problems is pride. If you come to God with a mixed motive, mixed motive in your prayers, He may not answer your prayer. If, if you're seeing someone who needs healing, and you're saying, I'm going to pray for that person to get healed, and... If they do, then I'll get a reputation among my friends as someone who can pray for healing. I want to tell you something. God is so committed, not only to everybody else, but also to you, that he is not going to let something come into your life that's going to draw you further away from him. Okay? Even Paul, uh, Paul, the great Paul, who started all the churches and wrote a lot of books of the Bible, he had a prayer that God didn't answer, and he was writing about it to the Corinthians he, he, he had some kind of a physical ailment. We don't know what it is, but he called it a thorn in his flesh. And he said, three times I prayed and asked God to take it from me. And God said, no. All three times, God said, no, I'm not going to take that from you. He wouldn't answer Paul's prayer. And then he said, it's because of the exceedingly great revelations that I've given you. I've given no one else. I've given you such exceedingly great revelations. I'm concerned that you might become prideful and puffed up. So you're going to hobble into town and preach the gospel, and you're going to need help from other people because of your physical problem. Wow. Another thing, when you're troubleshooting, you have to pray with faith. You have to pray with faith. Jesus taught this, and it's in Mark chapter 11, verses 23 and 24. 
Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Why do we have to pray in faith? Why do you have to, why is that so important? Well, this whole thing operates by faith. You know God by faith. He reveals to you his will. He shows you what he wants to do. That, you take that in faith, and then you pray for it to happen. And that takes time. It takes sacrifice to get up and pray. You do that in faith. So if you're not, if you're not believing that it's going to happen, then you're not really engaging with the whole process in the first place. So we have to pray in faith. Sometimes it's a timing issue. Sometimes God may just want to do it, but it's just not right just now. I pray for my kids' future spouses. I'm okay with waiting on that. Sometimes he's trying to teach us something. Sometimes it's just something he wants us to learn as we continue to pray. And then there's this issue of giving up. Sometimes we pray and we don't get an answer and we just stop praying. I want to share something with you real quick. It's, um, it's in the book of Daniel, and we're, we're not going to look at it. I'm just going to paraphrase it and tell you. This will blow your minds. Okay, Daniel was a, a prophet like Elijah. He was, lived later on after Elijah. He was a man of prayer. And he had intense visions, and he met with angels. Angels would visit him. This guy was intense, okay? He got a vision one day from God, and it was about a war, and it really disturbed him. And so he started praying. He said, God, what is this? And he didn't get an answer. And so he prayed the next day. Nothing. He prayed the next day. He didn't eat. He fasted for 21 days. He didn't eat, and he prayed, and he was down by a river. And finally, on the 21st day, an angel shows up. And, of course, he, all, he says the initial, like, don't be afraid because he's terrifying. But he says, you know what? God dispatched me to you on day one. And he says this, but I was detained by the prince of Persia. He resisted me, and then Michael, the archangel, had to show up and do battle with him and help me get free, and here I am to give you the answer. <laughs> what in the world? Guys, and he's not talking about a real, like, earthly prince, because princes, like, they can't detain and fight against angels. That, you just can't do it. He's talking about a demonic principality ruling over a region of the earth, okay? Maybe that's a challenging thing for you. It's Okay. It's in the Bible, though. Listen, we don't fully appreciate what's going on in the heavenlies around us. Sometimes the things that God wants to do are so awesome that there's going to be opposition, and you should pray through that. Daniel is a good model for us. He didn't give up, and he fasted. Sometimes when we fast, uh, no, always when we fast, it gives more power to our prayers, and sometimes we need to be fasting. I'm not going to go any more into that, but it's important to know. <clears throat> there's also this kind of like a measure of power. You know, there's, a, there's measures of grace and measures of love. There's measures of power, and there are sometimes some things that are just big, and they just, I don't, I don't know how else to say it. It's almost like there's a substance to prayer, and you just have to pray enough times. I, I, don't, I don't know how else to say it, but I think the Scripture would support that. You just have to keep praying sometimes to see it happen. I want to I look back at Elijah's story one more time at the, the second slide. This is Elijah praying. 
He went up to the top of Mount Carmel. He bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. Some translations translate that as like as crouched down or bent down. Okay, but he's doing this. Can you guys see me? He's doing this. Okay, he's bowing down or crouching down, and his head is between his knees like this. Who prays like that? Do you guys pray like that? Dear God, I love you so much. Please help me to have a good day today. That's how Elijah's praying. What is that? I'll just tell you what it is. In ancient Near Eastern culture, that was the position that women would take in childbirth when they're laboring. There's something supernatural here that's happening. This is like a supernatural childbirth, okay? And I want you to hear me because I think there's wind on this for us tonight. There are things that God wants to do that require new life and a birthing process through our prayers. He wants to bring something that doesn't exist into existence, okay? I watched my wife in labor three times. She did all the work, okay? It was hard. It took a long time. There was a lot of pushing, a lot of sacrifice. It was hard. And she did it. And then I held the baby. And you look at the babies and you, and you just, God did that. Only God could make life. But only Elizabeth could push the baby out. God wants to birth things in our relationships, in our, in our generation. He wants to bring new life. Will you be a people who press in, who pray and don't give up, and see God do new things through His Holy Spirit, through your persistence in prayer, through your tenacity, through your praying and not giving up? God wants to pour out His Spirit on this city. God wants to do new things here in this valley. God wants to pour out His Spirit in your families. He wants to pour out His Spirit in the nations. And it's going to take persistence in prayer to see it happen. It's not just going to happen. You know, we've seen a lot, of, a lot of miracles, a lot of really cool stuff, even here in this church. Um, I told you about my sister. We've seen other people get saved, other salvations. We've seen people get healed. I got healed one time. I, had a, I tore my meniscus in my knee. Anybody ever hurt yourself really bad? I tore, it, it was awful. And I was going to have to have surgery, and the surgeon, we did an MRI, and he looked at it, and he said, yep, I can see the tear. It's a it's pretty good size, and I can stitch it up, and then it'll be really painful, and you're going to have to wear a cast to keep your leg like this for six weeks, and you're going to do a lot of physical therapy, and I'm going to give you a little device that will make your leg do this while you sleep at night. And it's pretty likely that it'll not rip, and it'll stay. Said, well, that sounds awful. So we prayed. It was after worship practice. Jess Hannon, where are you? Jess Hannon prayed. And she said, I got faith for your knee. And I said, I got faith too. Let's pray. And we all circled around. We prayed. I didn't feel anything, but, and it still kind of hurt a little bit. I was, well, at least we prayed. We did it. And, and I'm going to believe God. And I went and I had surgery. And he went in there and scoped it. And it was fine. It was healed. He took pictures of it. He came back and he said, everything worked out great. And I said, and he showed me the pictures, and you couldn't even tell where the rip was. And I, so I just asked him, I said, how often does that happen? Does that just happen? He's, because I wanted to be able to give God the glory. And he said, no, 
I've seen it once. It, it doesn't really happen. Praise God. Brittany just Claire, is she in here? She's on staff with a college group. She had a problem with her ear, and we prayed, and God healed her ear. She went to the, she was supposed to have surgery. She went to the surgeon, and he looked and said, you can cancel your surgery. Listen, God does stuff. He does awesome stuff, okay? I believe that this is a foretaste of what's coming here in this valley and through this church. I believe this is a foretaste. This is like, this is like the raindrop, like the big fat sprinkles of rain before the deluge comes. I really believe that. And there are people in this church who are believing that as well. We believe that God is going to do big things, historic things in this valley, and you're going to see it. The question I have for you is, will you be a part of it? Will you pray it into existence? What, is it, what does it take, practically speaking? Well, you should have a time just where you pray with God. You should just have a special place to go, just where you go. Close the door and pray. You should do that regularly. I mean, you can pray anywhere. You can, you can pray in the car. You can pray in the shower. You can pray when you're sitting on the toilet. I do all those things. But you can also have a special place where you just say, this is where I go and I pray. And do it regularly. Pray with your life groups. If you're a life group leader, set aside time just to pray because it's valuable, because it matters. Prayer is where the action is, guys. And we can do the production, and we can do all this stuff, and we can play our musical instruments with excellence, and we can really practice our sermons, and, and that's all very important. But if it's not backed up by prayer, there's no power and there's no point. All right, I want to do something. Um, I, want, I just want to pray for all of us right now. I believe that God wants people to pray in this church at a new level, and I believe that He is here right now and that He wants to pour out His Spirit to anoint us for greater effectiveness in our prayers. And I, I really believe that. So what I want us to do, if you want that, if you want to receive that, lift your hands like this, like, a, like this, like a posture of receiving from God, and I want us to just lift our hands up, and I'm going to pray, Father, pour out Your Spirit on us, God. Lord, we believe that you're doing new things and it's going to take prayer. God, and I ask in Jesus' name that you would anoint us for new levels of effectiveness in our prayers. God, I pray that you would give us visions, dreams, visions, revelations. God, I pray that you would give us burdens for people. I pray you would help us to memorize Scripture that talks about your will, that you will that all people be saved, that you will that there be healing. God, I pray that you would help us to know what your will is, Father, and make us effective as we pray for your kingdom to come on this earth. Thank you, Lord, that you're doing it right now. Thank you, God. Amen. Okay. If you don't know Jesus, if this is new for you, if, you don't, if you're not in the kingdom of God, if you're feeling perhaps a, a tug on your heart, that is God. You, you don't get a tug on your heart towards God by anyone but God. Okay? If God is tugging on your heart, you don't want to resist that. And you can know Him, and you can know Him tonight, and you can be saved from sin and from your way of life and step into a new way of life. It will change you forever. And I'm not talking about assimilating God into your life. I'm talking about exchanging an old life for a new life. Jesus called it being born again. So if you'd like that, we're going to bow our heads, and I'll, and I'll pray. The band will come up. <clears throat> Father, 
I need you. God, I believe in you. I believe that you're real. I believe that you're who you say you are. I believe that you sent your only son, Jesus, fully God, fully man, to the earth, not just to be a good teacher or a good person, but to live out a perfect life of obedience to you for 33 years, to die on the cross and to be raised again. God, I believe that and I want that. I want that in my life. I confess that I've been living far from you. Forgive my sins, Father. Thank you that you forgive sin. Thank you that you're a good God who forgives me. And I receive that now. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.